Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. So Matt continued in our um, study through the the letter of Galatians in the New Testament. We're calling this series the Gospel of Grace, and he was in chapter five. He did most of chapter five. Did a great job. He's such a gifted teacher, and um, that was a two weeks ago. So today we're going to pick up where he left off. We're going to overlap a little bit, but we're really going to focus on a couple verses at the end of chapter 5 into chapter 6. And now we're going to be shifting to talk about how the gospel impacts our relationships with each other. It's been pretty clear that, well, let me back up a little bit in case you haven't been with us. The letter that we have called Galatians in our Bible is a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to a series of churches that he planted in a big region called Galatia. And the reason primarily that he wrote it was to deal with the problem. And that might help, by the way, just in general, when you're reading the New Testament, all of those letters are for a specific occasion. They're not just generally just a time to send a letter, but they're usually dealing with a particular issue. Not always, but usually, and that helps you understand what they're about. In this case, Paul had established these churches and taught them that Jesus, the Son of God, has come, and he's changed everything. The kingdom of God has come, and we can put our faith in Jesus, and that's all we need to do to have right standing with God. Where before there was this concept with every religion that it was up to me. Works righteousness or performance. I had to do right things and not do wrong things. And if I did enough good things and didn't do enough bad things, maybe the balance would be you know, just such that I'd be okay with God. And you can hear people today, you'll talk with them on the street. If you get that far with the conversation, you might ask, well, how do you know you'll go to heaven when you die would be the kind of thinking in America. It's a little bit unique thinking, but there's that thought. And they might say, well, I think God's going to measure my good deeds against my bad deeds. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll get to heaven. And that's kind of a common thinking which makes you really insecure. Anyway, people were coming into these churches and saying, you Christians that are following Jesus, you're doing pretty good, but you should also be following the law of Moses because Christianity is an outgrowth of the Jewish religion. So you men, you need to be circumcised, you need to eat kosher food, follow all the rules, then you'll be really good Christians. And Paul is pulling his hair out, screaming almost in this letter that he writes to the churches in Galatia saying, no, who's bewitched you? What is wrong with you? I showed you it was Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you add anything to Jesus plus nothing and make it Jesus plus something, you lose everything. And you've all heard that a lot. In fact, I saw one of you guys made a shirt that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's great. Here's one of them. So I love it when a, a talk that we're doing over and over is really settling in. The result is we have really wonderful relationship with God simply because we put our faith in Jesus, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his promises of coming back. That's it. Now that also translates into relationships with each other. And the verses that we're going to read 
um, seem to deal with that. So to start this out, though, I want to ask you a couple questions to bring you into the story. So here's the first question, kind of regarding the kind of people you are. This is kind of thinking there's two, there's a range, generally, of how people respond to different things. So in an argument, are you most likely to be the person who blows up or the person who clams up? How many blow-ups? How many clam-ups? Yeah, so like you're criticized. Sometimes when you're criticized, you blow up and you fight right back. The other people, when they're criticized, they feel depressed and discouraged. And that commonly people are divided kind of along that spectrum. Or how about this one? Are you most likely to pick an argument or avoid confrontation? Don't let a good argument go to waste. <laughs> Do you like my cat in that picture, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> kind of two ranges of people. Here's another kind of range that's usually related to the, the way those others were lining up. Are you more likely to look down on certain people? Maybe they have really behaviors that are not very appealing to you. Or are you more likely to feel intimidated by people, thinking they're a bit better, they've got more skill than you, they're, there's something better about them, and you feel kind of maybe embarrassed or shy or intimidated. Are you the pretty confident and you look down on people that don't do so well, or them kind of intimidated? Those are just kind of general ranges to get you in the conversation for what we're gonna read. So we're gonna to go to Galatians chapter five, verse 25, and we're going to read through to Galatians 6, chapter 5. If you have a Bible, it'll be handy. I made a slide, and it turns out I don't know what I'm doing, and I understand the type size is too small. So if you have binoculars, you'll be able to read what I'm about to put on the screen, apparently. You know, let's, let's pray, too. Lord, thank you for your word. Man, we're reading words that you inspired, that you breathed, like a couple thousand years ago. And we just want to acknowledge how amazing that what you spoke through Paul to that group of people in a different time, in a different culture, has been applicable to every people in every culture since then, all the way to this day to us. We acknowledge that. We are in awe of you for that. And we pray, speak to us today that we would grow in the grace that you've given us, for relationships with each other. Help us to get a little wiser, a little more filled with understanding that we would grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So come, Holy Spirit. Bless. In Jesus' name. Amen. And in case I forget, I want to um, give credit. I've done this before in this series. One of the resources that I'm using to help me think and understand Galatians better is a book by Tim Keller. He's a preacher in um, New York, and he, he wrote a book simply called Galatians for You. It's a commentary on Galatians. A lot of the ideas that I'm sharing with you are not from my clever thinking. They're from this great scholar and wise man, so I want to 
give him credit, and others too. I read lots of commentaries and such, and I read the Bible and pray. I put it all together, and hopefully something comes out that's helpful for us. So here we go. Galatians 5.25. Hopefully you kind of remember what we've been reading up to this point, because we're like in the middle of a paragraph when we read this. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the, the word there means to line up. Let's line up our lives with the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Those two verses are what are going to be the key verses for what we talk about. But we're going to put it in the context of this whole passage. So we keep reading. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin. This, this is kind of an application of let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. And I'm going to try to put it all in context for you. Usually when you read the Bible, you notice, oh, that's chapter 6. I guess I can take a break, and next week come back, and I'll read chapter 6. And you read this sentence alone. It's actually in context. And it means way more in context. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, since we're led by the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. You who are walking in the Spirit should restore him gently. But watch yourself. You may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself in a good way, a good kind of pride, without comparing himself to someone else. For each should carry his own burden. Now, I'm going to give it away what I want to say to you in one sentence, like I sometimes do. I try to say a sermon in a sentence. The, the, the thing to remember, the, the distillation of what I'm saying today is this. The gospel of grace gives me a healthy view of myself and others. And that makes for healthy grace-filled relationships. The gospel of grace gives me a healthy and appropriate view of myself and view of others. And that makes for healthy, grace-filled relationships. So now let's back up to where we started, verse 25 and 26, and, and get some more information out of those. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. The word conceit is a, a key word for what we're talking about today, and it translates a Greek word, Conceit is the English translation of a Greek word that means to be empty of honor. And here I'm quoting from Tim Keller's book, Conceit is a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory, leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. Just pause on that. You can see where that would be a problem for relationships, can't you? Remember, he said, let us not be conceited. Here's why. If I'm conceited, that means I have a sense of a lack of honor, a sense of a lack of worth. I'm probably in performance-based religion, and I'm falling short. Or I'm in performance-based religion, and I'm foolish enough to be self-righteous and think I'm better than others. In either case, it's messing up my relationship with others, and I'm trying to prove myself. So the two possible outcomes that that would lead to 
would be seeing myself as better than others or seeing myself as less than others. The gospel corrects that. The gospel fixes that. The religion of self-effort, of works righteousness, of performance-based religion creates this problem all the more. That's why religious people often are so gnarly to deal with relationally. That's why they're often so mean. Have you ever run into a mean religious Christian? No? Yes? Judgmental? Well, that's because they're not living according to the gospel of grace. They have fallen prey to what Paul is writing this book about. The very people that he's writing to are being led astray with the result that we're talking about. If they will follow the Judaizers, that's the name of the people that are telling them, yeah, you got to be you know, circumcised, you got to follow the law of Moses, and you'll be real Christians. They're going to fall into works-based righteousness, Jesus plus something, rather than Jesus plus nothing. They're going to fall into that, and they're going to start either judging others or feeling really insecure about themselves, and their relationships are going to be messed up. Now, there's words provoking and envying, kind of an outflow of that. Provoking is a stance of someone who sees themselves better than others, even looking down on others. That's the provoking stance. The envying stance is one who is conscious of their inferiority. They feel like they're less than. So they envy the status, the gifts, the place, of others, and again, that destroys relationships. You can't have a good relationship with someone if you're living in envy of them. You will question everything about them. You will judge them. You will judge God for giving them what you wish you had. You'll just be judgmental. You'll be not a really pleasant person to be around. This is, this is the simple roots of all sorts of dysfunction, either superiority or inferiority. Now, the world has all sorts of um, teachings about having good self-esteem as a solution to this. You know, if I just, if I, if I feel like I'm really unworthy, if I've been abused, traumatized, and I'm someone who really lets other people walk all over me, lets other people walk all over me, you know, just all of the, the behaviors that involve addiction and abuse and dysfunction and trauma, the world's solution is to say, well, you don't think highly enough of yourself. If you will just say these words, I am worthy, then you'll feel worthy. So people over and over, they write it on Facebook, I'm good enough, I'm worthy, I'm good enough, I'm worthy. And that won't change their insides. Just, just know, saying those words won't change your insides. You'll still have the complex. What you need is a relationship with the God who loves you without regard to whether you're good or you're bad or you've been abused or you've never been abused or you get good grades or you get bad grades or you never went to school or anything. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because God loves you because he is love and he loves you and it has nothing to do with anything you do. And you're made right with him simply by looking in faith at Jesus plus nothing. When you get the fullness of that meaning, people, you understand that you are made in the image of God and you are of infinite worth, and yet you also understand that only Jesus is worthy and that you have sinned and need grace. So you're both humble and bold. And when you live like that, you are enabled to interact with others out of a posture 
of confidence and humility that makes for grace-filled relationships. Now remember, as I get into this next, next kind of developing of the thought, how are you doing, by the way? Are you following all this? It's making sense? How grace is going to impact. How's it going, brother? I haven't seen you in a while. How long is it since before COVID? So long that I forgot your name. What's your name? Keith, yes. Good to see you. Right at the front row. Everyone say, hi, Keith. Hi, Keith. Hello. You've been embraced. Keith, you want to get to know that smile you just saw is always there. It just fills me with joy every time I see him. Okay, back to grace-filled relationships. Paul is dealing with, we have to always keep this in our mind, the dichotomy, the opposition of, the comparison of performance-based religion, which is what all religion is. You must do or not do. You must follow the rites. You must go to enough church. You must pray enough. You must eat the right food, perhaps. You might need to worship in the right place, or you might need to worship with the right, just all you got to do the right stuff. That works-based religion against the gospel that says, my standing with God, my value before God, my love is based completely on him. My only response is to say, I trust you and nothing else. So if I'm in performance-based religion, I'll compare myself. It will lead to me comparing myself with others and feeling either inferior or superior. That's why legalism destroys relationships. Now, the gospel of grace creates this new self-image. It's not based on comparison, so it's both humble and confident, like I was saying. It reminds me when I'm interacting with someone maybe that has obvious trouble, sin, um, difficulty in their life, reminds me, I am no different than this person. We are on level ground because of grace. I am no different. And it also reminds me, I'm made in God's image. He loves me. So I'm confident. I'm made in the image of God. And I'm so worth something to him that he would spend everything to rescue me. He'd send his own son. He'd give his lifeblood for me to rescue me. I wonder if you're in that place where you're confident, but you're also humble. I'm thinking of a time I was with a group of pastors a few years back, and we were, we were all in shock. We're all, there's a group of pastors that meet together pretty regularly. If you didn't know, San Diego is rather unique. The churches here, for the most part, have figured out that we're all on the same team, and we all like each other. So sometimes we send people to each other's churches because we're not in competition. Um, we meet together because we enjoy each other. The pastors do. We're just all together, right? Well, one, one of the pastors in our group had been caught in a very severe sin that put him in jail, in prison. And we were just in shock because he was one of our, like, the favorite sons. I mean, he was... We held him in the highest of esteem. And we were all just sitting around. One of the guys, after they were all talking, said, Ron, what, what are you thinking? And I said, 
I'm thinking, I wonder how many compromises I am away from doing the very thing he did. Because I'm aware that sin is deceitful. It invites me to compromise. And it's smart. Because it doesn't invite me to compromise really big. It invites me to compromise really small. So I come from here, and all of a sudden I'm over here. And when I'm over here, it's really easy to get over there. I said, I wonder, am I two compromises away of being in prison myself? Could be. That kind of humility is super helpful in your dealing with people. When you're walking on the streets of Oceanside and you meet someone who's homeless and looks like they may be lost in addiction and they they just look far from where you are, think, I wonder if some things happened to me and I made certain choices, could I be right there with them? And the answer is, yeah, you could. That person is someone's daughter who one time had hopes and dreams is someone's son who one time saw the same kind of hopes and dreams and future you have for your children. And so with that attitude, you have a, a grace and a humility and a confidence that enables you to love and enter into really great relationship. So remember, we're, we said that conceit Paul said, don't let us become conceited. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Conceit means a lack of honor, a sense that I am either superior or that I'm less than and I need to prove myself. Conceit is a sense of a lack of honor or glory or worth. It could be, that whole sentence could have been translated, paraphrased something like this. Don't let your hunger for honor make you either despise on the one hand or envy on the other hand people. Don't let your hunger for honor make you either despise or envy other people. That's kind of, in a nutshell, what he's saying. So look at this guy up here. See the the runners there? This is an old news story. comes from a few years back. But the guy in the back is a Spanish athlete named Ivan, or Ivan Fernandez Anaya. And the guy in the front is a Kenyan athlete named Abel Mutai. And Abel Mutai was winning the race by far. But he didn't read English, and the signs on the track were in English, and he thought he had crossed the finish line when he hadn't. So he stopped running. So the guy behind him figured out what was happening. People were yelling at him, you're not there yet, run, run. The guy behind him grabbed him, and you see him pointing? Because he's helping him understand, you you didn't win the race yet. And he purposely, the second guy, lost the race. So the guy that was supposed to win the race, because he clearly was faster, won the race. I think that I had to say that because when Matt preached, he said that I do not bring enough athletic examples to this pulpit. (laughs) So Matt, if you're watching, I brought you one. But you see in there a practical example of someone who's pretty confident and pretty humble and able to serve. Does that make sense? That's, That's basically 
how this might work out. So if I'm in a situation where I find myself becoming defensive because I feel intimidated by an interaction with someone, have you ever had an interaction and you felt intimidated? Or I feel attacked and vulnerable? I need to preach the gospel to myself. In that position, I need to say, Ron, it doesn't matter what that person thinks of you. It only matters what Jesus thinks of you. You've put your trust in Jesus, and Jesus thinks very highly of you. You are in right standing with the God of the universe because you put your faith in Jesus, and he's given you his righteousness. So peace out, Ron. Hear the gospel and don't be intimidated. And I have, I've had this happen where I've had to meet with someone that I was super intimidated about. And I had to talk about kind of some difficult confrontational issues. And I'm, not, I'm the, I don't want to confront. I'm the little cat hiding. I don't want to confront. I don't feel super confident. And sometimes I'm called to deal with stuff as though I'm confident. What I need to do is I preach the gospel by myself. I call on God and I remember who I am in Christ. And I'm not intimidated in that situation. I step out in faith and I'm able to do what needs to be done in the situation for healthy relationship. Or if I find a voice in me that looks down on someone, like, I can't believe anyone would be so foolish to do that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever judged someone inside your heart and go, I can't believe, well, that was pretty stupid. Or that is some gnarly sin. How do you ever get to a place where you could do that? I need to stop and go, oh, I recognize that voice. That's pride. Be gone from me, you foul spirit of pride. The gospel is that I am on level ground with that person. The gospel of grace teaches me that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and all of us need God's grace to make us right with God. That guy's not farther from God because of his sin. I'm not closer to God because I have sinned less, but we all can be close to God because we've put faith in Jesus, the Son of God who's come to make a way to restore relationship with all people to himself and with all people to each other. Preach to myself this gospel. And you know what happens? My mind is renewed. As my mind is renewed, my will, my ability to choose is more able to align itself with the renewed mind that's been lined up with God's truth. And as a result of that, my desires and affections begin to be transformed until what I want to do lines up with what I believe, which lines up with the truth, which lines up with the choices that I make, and I find myself becoming a little bit more like Jesus in how I live. Now that was worth paying attention to what I just said. I'm telling you, you are not a victim of your desires. You are not identified by your desires. You are not forced to do whatever it is that you want to do at the moment. You can form your desires by choosing what you think about and what you believe. And when you choose what you think about and what you believe in line with the will of God and cause your will and your choices to line up with what you think about, you will find that your desires begin to line up with what you choose and what you think about, and you become more like Christ. And now you, with Christ, are ruling over your desires 
and your desires are not ruling over you. That's good stuff, Ron. <laughs> okay. So the next sentence in what we're reading gives an example of how we live this out. The part where he talks about if a brother is taken in sin. But I'm going to go back and read what Matt read to you to give us the context. You with me? We're going to go back to Romans, I mean Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to remember this. Now, this is going to be the, you need a binoculars because I made it too small. But at, I'm reminding us that as we're reading through Galatians, Paul compares things, and there's a few comparisons that he puts kind of in columns. He compares being under the law and under grace in his letters, right? Lined up with those, almost synonymously, he calls being in the flesh and being under the law on this side, being in the spirit and being in grace in this side. So when you hear Paul talk about, well, you're in the flesh, you're living according to the desires of the flesh. I should pause there. If you read the New International Translation of the Bible, instead of the word flesh, it uses the word sinful nature, which is kind of more of an interpretation. The actual word Paul uses is just flesh. It's the unrenewed, natural person, the way you are before Christ, living as though God is not filling you and guiding you and gracing you, living in the flesh. Living in the spirit is by the power of the spirit, living in the resurrection life, living in the new life. So when we read, I'm going to reread that you read two weeks ago with Matt. Remember that. To be under the law is to be in the flesh. To be under grace is to be in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16. You guys read this a couple weeks ago. It will get us an understanding of Galatians 6, 1. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Did you notice that that part of you called the flesh has some desires? Have you ever noticed that? Okay. Did you notice that when you got filled with the Spirit of God, you got some new desires? You love to worship. You love the presence of God. You love to love people. You love to heal the sick. That wasn't there before. It's there now. The desires of the flesh war against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. You're not free from doing the things you want to do often if you're under the flesh. But if you're led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. So there you see it again. Spirit, not law. Flesh, law. Spirit, not law. Spirit, grace. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And there's that nasty list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. You know, that's the worship of anything other than God. Sorcery or witchcraft. Enmity. That's kind of anger with each other. Strife or fighting. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Ooh. Anyone ever have a fit of rage? Have you ever seen red? I have literally seen red. I've gotten so mad. I start, my face is twitching. I'm like, you know, that's a work of the flesh. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warn before, those who do such things won't even inherit the kingdom of God. Then the other side, but the fruit of being filled with the Spirit. By the way, fruit takes a while to develop. Have you ever planted a fruit tree? It needs water, but it always develops. You always get fruit, but it takes a while, and it comes in seasons. The fruit of the Spirit, and we've read this so many times together, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there's no law, of course. 
and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I should pause there. That's not what I'm talking about today, but that last sentence is what I just described to you when I say I renew my mind and use my will to line up with my mind that's been renewed according to the word of God, and that affects my desires. That is crucifying my flesh along with its desires. It's saying no to the flesh, yes to the spirit, putting the flesh on the cross, putting the spirit front and center. That's a whole nother more in-depth talk, but that's what he's talking about there. So, but we've got to get this in context. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Next sentence, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore. So in the context of this letter, when he says, if someone of you is caught in a sin, he's probably referring to those sins we just listed. Because Galatians, you are at risk of being under the law. You who are under the law are very likely to do the sins of the flesh. It's kind of counterintuitive, but you who are so legalistic about what you shouldn't do are the most likely to fall into what you shouldn't do. Have you ever noticed that? That strange situation. Some of the most legalistic preachers get caught doing the very things that they despise. Have you noticed that? It's a strange thing, because they're actually sounding spiritual, but in the flesh, because they're in performance-based religion, not in the grace that only God can give. But if you are in the Spirit, following the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, you won't do the things that the flesh desires. So he says, you who are spiritual, if someone falls into one of these sins from being in the flesh and legalism, you who are spiritual, what would spiritual be like? Well, you're the ones who live in grace. You're the ones who have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're living that way, here's what you do in your community when one of you falls into sin. You look down on them and judge them and kick them out. Amen. Clean up this church. Let's get the sinners out of here. Is that what it says? I lost my place. I better read it again. If someone is caught in a sin, they're legalist. They're in the flesh. They followed the ways and the desires of the flesh, and they got caught like a fly on flypaper. They got themselves caught. You who are spiritual, you who are under grace, you who are filled with love and joy and peace and all those fruit, your job is to restore them. And you restore them gently. We're talking about grace-filled relationships. Newsflash! If you're going to be around people, you're going to have some people that sin. Newsflash! If you didn't know, this is going to happen to you if you're in community with people. Someone's going to screw up bad. If you're growing in Christ, your job at that point is to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And watch yourself... Because you also may be tempted. There's humility. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fill, fulfill the law of Christ. Sin is not to be ignored. Sin is not to be excused. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Let's just move on. Let's just pretend it never happened. Let's live in denial. 
But the brother or sister caught in sin is not to be destroyed. You wicked sinner, how could you do that? Do you not know that you're a representative of the body of Christ? You've put a shame on the name of Jesus. Is that the way? No. They're not to be destroyed. The goal is always restoration. Listen, if you are thinking of confronting someone who has sinned against you, put on the brake, put it in park, and pray just a second and find out if your goal of confrontation is because you are pretty angry and you want to give them a piece of your mind. Or your goal of confrontation is solely to restore broken relationship between the person and God and between the person and you. Because if your goal is not to restore, then you have no business confronting because you're not one of these spiritual people who are filled with grace. This is really (laughs) rubber meets the road. This happens in life. Confrontation for someone who sinned against you is always, if you're spiritual, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're filled with grace, always about restoration. Let's just talk about a couple of more of these things. We read, watch yourself or you must be tempted. Well, that's because we're humble and confident. Confident enough to confront, humble enough to realize, man, I could be tempted in the same way. I am not above I'm not judging. I'm not condemning. I'm coming thinking, God help us. God help you. God help me. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to invite you to come back to grace, to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I've fallen into sin and I'm trapped. The word restore is the same word that you would use to describe the setting of a broken bone. You ever seen a bone out of joint and the doctor sets it? Ouch. Necessary, though. The setting of a broken bone or an out of joint bone so that it can be restored to full use. We're to carry each other's burdens. This is interesting. Remember, Jesus went to the cross and carried the burden of my sin. In the context here, someone's taken in sin. You who are filled with the Spirit are to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, carrying their burdens. We often read that verse, a separate sentence by itself. Think about when someone sins and makes a mess of things. There is a cost involved. And we who are spiritual get in and we help carry the cost of the cleanup. I know when someone sins, maybe, maybe the dude committed adultery and his family's destroyed, but he's realized that he was caught in a sin and he's sorry and he wants restoration. And now I go with him and I don't think, well, good luck cleaning up your mess, brother. I think, well, he's repentant. I could be the same. He's no farther from Jesus than I am because we're both right with Jesus by faith in Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus you never committed adultery. 
It's not Jesus because you never lied. It's Jesus plus nothing. So he's putting his faith in Jesus. Now I got to not only restore him, I got to carry his burden. I'm going to have to take care of some mess that I didn't cause. Did you know Jesus took care of your mess that he didn't cause? And he causes us to love like he loves. Grace filled relationships. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of love. John chapter 13 is where it's recorded. Jesus saying these words, a new command, a new law, I give you, love one another. Oh, but that's good. I wish he hadn't said the next thing. Do you see that next sentence? I wish he hadn't said that. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Oh, that's a whole new level, isn't it? It's easy to say love one another. Okay, Jesus, I love everybody. I feel good. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Ron, you weren't listening. The way I have loved you, that's how I want you to love one another. Oh, the no strings attached love? Oh, the unconditional love. Oh, the love when someone hurts you. Oh, the blessing when someone injures you. Oh, the love when someone doesn't seem to deserve it in your mind. That love. Oh. A new com- you'll fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, if when a brother sins... You who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Where did this all start? Let us not envy each other, provoking. No, I'm sorry. Let us not be full of conceit, provoking and envying each other. How would that work out? Well, maybe someone sins. You're not full of conceit, provoking and envying each other. So because you're not that, and someone sins, and they're caught in a sin because they've been living under the law in the flesh. You are filled with the Spirit. You come alongside and help restore them. The very thing that Steve is talking about tonight. So you know, we better come back and get some more of this. Restoring broken lives. Colossians, another way to say it. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow. Over all these virtues put on love. We finished the section we were reading. We'll be able to be done here. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions and he can take pride himself. Each one should carry his own load. That's, that's back to the beginning. See, if I... If I have that religious works-based attitude that now thinks I'm superior because I didn't fall into the sin that I see in my brother, then I've deceived myself. I should test my actions and see when a brother is caught in a sin, am I the one who's filled with grace and mercy and love and joy to help restore them? I'm testing myself, and I can go, well, thank you, Lord. You did something different in me. I actually was kind this time. And that's the kind of pride that can say, Ah, I feel right with God, even in my actions. Thank you for changing me. You gave me grace and you've transformed me. Thank you. Or I might test myself and go, "Uh uh-oh, Ron, you fell back into judgment. You fell back into provoking. You fell back into conceit. You fell back into honor. You deceived yourself. You thought you were doing good because you were able to see other person's sin. You know, it doesn't take any kind of wisdom to see another person's sin. That doesn't make you smart. 
you watch the news and you don't like the way some political leader is acting and making decisions, that doesn't make you smart. There's a different attitude of grace. I just meddled, huh? Sorry about that. <laughs> Test my own actions. Okay, the gospel of grace. Sermon in a sentence again. What's the take-home message? The gospel of grace that I just spent a long time getting into the weeds with has this benefit. It gives me a healthy view of myself that's different than the world's self-esteem. It's different. It's a healthy view based on God's love and acceptance of me. And my standing with him that's based not on my performance or my lack of performance, but on simply what Jesus has done. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The result will be I have a healthy view of myself and I have a healthy view of you. And that's what makes for healthy, grace-filled relationships. And that is a big key to living the good life. Remember the good life? Where regardless of circumstances, I have love, Loved by God, I love him. I'm loved by you, I love you. I have joy, a pervasive sense of well-being because I'm living in a community of love with my God and with my people. I'm surrounded by everything's kind of well right now. It's well with my soul. I have a pervasive sense of well-being that's called joy. And I have peace with God and peace with you because I don't have to manipulate you or control you to get our relationship good, my relationship's already good because God's restored me, God's restored you, you love God, you love me, I love God, you, you, this is really wonderful, you got it? Love, love, joy, joy, peace, peace. That gives me hope that there's more good around the corner waiting to happen and I have faith from God to believe and to very, in my essence, see the substance of the things I hope for, that's faith. The good that's coming that I don't yet have in my life, faith gives me the ability to see it before it's there, and then I walk into it. That is the good life, love, joy, peace, hope, and faith. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.